Our next scripture reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 7. And I'll begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 7 at verse 73. It's right at the end of the seventh chapter. And we'll read through the first part of the eighth chapter. And when we come down to the ninth verse, I'll give you directions, but when we come down to the ninth verse, we'll begin to read that portion uh, responsively. And that is found in your bulletin. So beginning to read with Nehemiah 7, 73. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who would understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. <clears throat> and when he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the word of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, for, for that purpose. And beside him stood Matahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, on his right hand. Notice the detail in this. They list these people. This is thousands of years ago, people. And they listed these people on my left, these people on the right. What detail that they give here. So we'll continue to read. The, and I lost my place. All right, I'm going to read, begin to read verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on the wooden platform as they made, made for that purpose. And beside it stood Metahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on the right hand, and Padiah, and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, or excuse me, yes, Hashem, and Hashbadana, and Zechariah, and Mishalem on his left hand. Aren't you glad you're not reading these names? <laughs> and Israel opened the, opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherbiah, Jamin, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, Help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that all the people understood the reading. And now we'll read this very, very beautiful passage, verses 9 through 12, responsively. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Now I'll take up reading with verse 13. Now this is the next day. Now after that, after they went home, rejoiced, ate, partied. On the, next, on the second day, we read, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. Make booths, as it's written, make tents. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of, of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, that would be Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, our hearts go out to John Morrison and the boys this morning. They go out to Khaki. John and Hope and their families. Our Father, we grieve with them. It hurts. But we also rejoice with them. For right now, Kate is home in glory. And we shall see her again. Oh, Father, we ask that you would bring your omnipotent comfort to bear, especially upon John and the boys and upon Khaki, John and Holt. May your comfort to them be beyond imagination. Our Father, now, as we come to this wonderfully deep, profound, joyous scripture, 
We pray that you will teach us. John Sartell cannot, cannot teach this passage, can't preach this passage so that it will make any difference in our lives. But Father, we've heard your voice. We've heard you teach. And you've changed us. Changed us at the core of our being. And that's what we pray for this morning. That we would hear your voice. That that change would continue or maybe, maybe some of us will be changed for the first time. That's our prayer. Father, that you would speak and that all the glory would be yours. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanksgiving, a civic holiday of the United States or an ancient harvest feast mandated by God. The American Thanksgiving Day is traced back to the colonies in 1621. Folks, that's 400 years. According to a letter written in December 1621 by Edward Winslow, the pilgrims of Plymouth Colony celebrated a successful harvest with three days of feasting and other celebratory Activities sometime between late September and mid-November. Winslow's letter was written just weeks after the affair. William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth Colony, wrote about it some 20 years later. He refers back to this event. Such harvest celebrations were common in the early history of the colonies. Up and down through the colonies, this was done. George Washington, at the request of Congress, made Thanksgiving. Did you get that? Did y'all hear that? George Washington, at the request of Congress, imagine that, proclaimed or made Thanksgiving a national celebration with a proclamation in 1789. President Abraham Lincoln in 1863 proclaimed a national holiday. And here I want to quote Lincoln, a national holiday of quote, Thanksgiving and praise to our father who is in the heavens to be celebrated on the last Thursday in November. This day, or this week, has always been a special time, a special feast for me. I've tried to keep it as a part of my faith. My secular friends have said to me, hey, wait a minute, John. This is a secular civic holiday. It has nothing to do with your faith or the faith. Even my Christian friends have reminded me that 
a Thanksgiving harvest celebration is not a part of our Christian calendar. We have Advent, Lent, Easter, Ascension Day, All Saints Day. But on the Christian calendar, we don't have a Thanksgiving Day. Prayer and worship, as we look back at our history 400 years ago, prayer and worship were an essential part of those colonial celebrations. So I ask you the question, why did the pilgrims start that tradition? Well, they didn't start it. They got it from another place. They got it from the Old Testament. The people of God, remember this was a Christian colony. The people of God laid claim to such a feast thousands, not 400 years ago, thousands of years ago. Why? Because God ordered them to do so. In fact, Nehemiah 8 is a record of that celebratory harvest feast being rediscovered. God had first ordered Israel to keep this feast annually in Exodus chapter 23 and again in Leviticus chapter 23. So this was written in the Pentateuch. It was written in the book of the law. It was written in the Torah. If you go home this afternoon and read John chapter 7, you will find that Jesus himself kept this feast, went to Jerusalem to keep this feast. Why the feast? It marked the end of the harvest season. The crops were in. Israel gathered to celebrate God's goodness as a harvest was complete and the crops were in their barns. This feast would have resembled our Thanksgiving. The people set up tents. Seems strange, doesn't it? They set up booths. We read it this morning. God directed them to, or tabernacles. A tabernacle was a tent. So they were to set up tents or booths, temporary, temporary dwellings, to dwell in for that week. Why did they do that? They had these nice homes, farms. Why did they go... They were remembering their sojourn, their journey through the wilderness. They were looking back at the wilderness and remembering. Now in the promised land with their houses, their vineyards, their gardens, their farms, their flocks, they were celebrating the wealth God had given them. And at the same time, they were remembering, and this is the key, they were remembering how dependent they were upon God in the wilderness. Remember God fed them manna? They would had food. He fed them quail. He gave them water. He sustained them. They were confessing in the midst of their wealth that they were still dependent on God. The Feast of Booths rivaled the Passover in popularity. Jerusalem would be packed. Jerusalem would be celebrating. It was a happy time, time to celebrate. In Nehemiah 8, the Feast of Booths was being rediscovered, I mentioned this, rediscovered in Israel. You see, they had been in Babylon for seven, 70 years, 
Seven decades, they had been in exile. Jerusalem had been, had been laid waste for 70 years, and they had come back to begin to rebuild it. They were back home. It was the fall month of Tishri, the seventh month. The great gathering listened to the public reading of the law. It was being read, and here were these Levites explaining it. I mean, these were thousands and thousands of people. They read of the great feast of booths that God commanded, and the people began to weep. The, the directions of God's law had been ignored for seven decades. Most of these people had never even heard of the Feast of Booths. Now you're in the middle of the crowd. Just take yourself there. You're in the middle of that crowd. What do you expect to hear from Ezra and Nehemiah? The spiritual icons of your culture. These are the, the great spiritual leaders of the day. Well, those people heard what they didn't expect. And frankly, if we'd been standing there, we wouldn't have expected it. Look at it. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites taught the people, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy. Not, not a secular holiday. This day is holy to the Lord, to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, here's what you don't expect. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is, again, holy to our God. It's set apart to our God. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now you're there, and you're weeping with your countrymen. The commanded feasts have not been kept. And then you hear, don't weep. Go home. Go home. Drink the sweet wine. Eat the fat. Send portions to those who don't have anything. What's he saying? He's saying, go have a party. When I was a teenager, I'd been going to church all my life. I had never heard anything like this. Many of us were raised like that. It sounded foreign. Your minister reads God's word, God's law, and then in response says, all right, people, go home, have a feast, drink the wine, eat the fat. Wow. That's commanded by God. How do you deal with that? You know, I have over the years given Ole Miss a lot of it's been in fun, just teasing. You know that. They're a great school, SEC school. So I want to say something 
complimentary. Some of you have heard this story, and I don't apologize for it because you need to hear it again. It's my favorite old Miss story. I was driving south on a Friday afternoon into central Mississippi to speak at an RUF conference for the weekend. They were not serving supper at the conference. And so I was looking for a place to eat, but I was not passing through any towns. I had taken the scenic route and I was regretting it, to tell you the truth, at that time. And I came to a stop, to a T, a stop sign, dead end. And I was to turn left. But there was this line of cars going by. And it was like 50 cars, just car after car after car. And I looked. And there were some students in the cars that I knew that had gone to independent, still go to independent. And, I, and then I looked, and all these cars had Ole Miss stickers on them. And I said, these are the members of RUF, and they're going to the conference. I'll follow them, and I'll have supper. You see, I was laughing. Those were the students from Ole Miss going to a conference. It would be impossible. It's impossible for any Ole Miss people to cover any distance as a group and not have a party. They've got to. It's part of the tradition. And sure enough, I followed the caravan to Macon, Mississippi. They turned up a driveway into an old antebellum home, and I crashed the party. and had a wonderful dinner. You know, there are people families and social organizations where you know where you expect to find parties, celebrations. God tells us that his, we're to be just such a people. And that probably sounds strange to many of us. And that's why we've got to spend some time in this passage this morning. This week, in preparation for this message, I went back and I looked, began to look at individuals, at families, at churches, where I knew that they were, they were just always festive, just happy to be there. That there was a joy about them. And I began to write down the individuals and families that were marked by this. It's my prayer. I want to be marked by this. It's my prayer that you will be. It's my prayer that Christ's covenant will be. So I want us to look and see first, very quickly, the source of their party. Now, look, we've read it already, and I'm going to read it again. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to the Lord. Then you skip down to verse 14. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and tell them to build tents. Notice he says, for this day is holy. That means sacred. Sacred. Kodosh is the Hebrew word for holy. It means set apart for the Lord's use. The next day after that, the people discovered in the reading of the law that God actually commanded. It wasn't optional. He commanded it. 
the feast. And by the way, it was not a one-day feast. Not a one-day feast. It was a seven-day feast. But it was, the Lord was at the center of it. What's the source of the world's parties? It's all kinds of reasons for parties in the world. Graduations, marriages, promotions, retirement. But there's a difference when God's people celebrate those times and when the world does. When the world celebrates those times, God is not at the center. Here is this massive celebration, this massive feast, but God is at the center. These people came from the wheat fields, the vineyards. They'd worked every day. They came thanking God for his blessings, celebrating his goodness. He was was at the head of the table. He had provided the feast. From whence comes the Christian tradition of thanking God for the meal that we we say a blessing when we sit down to eat? You know, that's a sacred thing. We've built it in to our daily lives. We stop. It's a sacrament with a small list. You know, we we have the sacrament of baptism. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper It's not that kind of thing. It's a a small S. It's not a capital S. We come, we stop right there at the table. And it's a holy celebration of God's goodness. Thank you, Father, for the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Thank you. What am I saying? I'm saying that our days, our weeks should be filled with small parties as we thank God for supplying every need and every blessing. All we, there's, we have this great week coming up. It's a Thanksgiving week and it ought to be. The whole week, not a day. Thanking God. But along the way, throughout the year, throughout the week, throughout the month, the next month and the next month. And it's even, you, you, those of us that don't like the cold weather of January and February, you know, it's getting up every day and saying, this is a day the Lord's made. It's a minor thanksgiving all through every day. Where do we go when someone precious to us has been called home? We go to meet with God and we thank Him for the life that He gave us through this person. The life that He shared with us for all these years that He's called home to glory. We come and thank Him for that person's life. And we do that to affirm the truth that that individual is now with Christ. And we affirm the truth that as they lived and died in Christ and we live and die in Christ, we will see that friend again. And then what do we do after that? We go have a party. We go feast. And it's a good thing to do. You see, the, I'm trying to say to you, this, this celebration is constant. 
I have a prayer that I pull out every Thanksgiving, and I try to keep it where I can see it, but I remember it for sure every Thanksgiving. Father, make my Thanksgiving be as constant as your blessings are. You pray that prayer. You're going to have to be thankful all day, every day. Because his blessings. Can, can you ever say, is there ever a place that you stand and say, at this moment, I'm not dependent on God. I'm standing here in my own strength. I've got my own food. got my own house. Is there ever a time for one second that you can say, I'm not dependent on The Bible tells us that we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This is in the eighth chapter of Deuteronomy, by the way. There's never a moment that we're not dependent. So we see the source of the party, the goodness of God, the constant goodness of God. Secondly, I want you to see the decision of joy in this celebration. They say, and what is it? This is a holy day to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. And then you read on, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, and do not be grieved. And then verse 11, so the Levites calmed the people and said, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. They'd been grieving probably over their sins, probably over the tragic sins of their grandparents that had caused them to be in exile for 70 years. When they heard about the feast, they wept. We hadn't kept that feast. We didn't know about that feast. Some people will hear this and they read this. And I know this this week because I listened to three or four sermons preached by ministers and they're good ministers. And their whole, their whole point of the sermon was that we should grieve more about our sins. And we got to the end. Got to the end of the message. And I was saying, and I know these guys personally. I wanted to call them on the phone and say, where's the party? Where is it? Do you not realize what the rest of that passage says? It says, don't grieve. Now, that's a good point. We need to grieve. We need to grieve over our sins. But if we don't, if we, we come to the cross grieving with our sins, and that's good. But if we don't leave that cross in joyous laughter of grace and forgiveness, that it is an insult to the work of Christ. If our confession and repentance does not end in gospel joy, then we don't understand what Christ has accomplished. People, you'll be changed if you learn this. The decision of joy in this celebration. These people were grieving, and what did they have to do? They made a conscious decision. I'm not grieving anymore. I'm going to go eat the fat. I'm going to go drink the wine. I'm going to celebrate God's goodness. What a joy. Listen, if you learn this one thing, if you learn this one thing this morning, it will change your life by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That joy 
does not come by circumstance. It doesn't. It doesn't depend on circumstances. You say, I'm going to, I'll have joy when I get married. I'll have joy when I make a million dollars. I'll have joy when I get out of school. I'll have joy when I go to college. I'll have joy when I get out. No. It's not something that depends on circumstances. I'll prove it to you. What are the, what's, what, what are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit? What, what's the fruit of the Spirit, Holy Spirit in your life? First one, love. And I think it's their order and priority. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy. Second to love. Love's not automatic. God commands us to love. Why? Because he knows. He commands, he commands me to love Terry. That's easy. That's easy. She has a hard part. She's got to love me. You know. But it's really for, you know, that kind of, of marriage love. You have to exercise the will. You have to make up your mind you're going to love that person no matter what. Love's not automatic. You have to will. Joy's the same way. It's hard in this world with all the darkness, all the hurt, all the pain. What marks the Christian apart in the world is the joy. We're going to see that in a moment. You see, we want to have another kind of party. We'd rather choose to have a pity party, resentment, anger. It's a party that you remember, you know, Pooh's friend in Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. He's always going about saying, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. 25 years ago, I was when I read that, I was, remembered a minister that spoke, a Romanian minister that sp we had speak at Independent. His name was Joseph Zahn. Some of you remember him. He was persecuted, Roman and was in Romania during the worst years, hard time, had been in prison, persecuted. And uh, one day the soldiers came to his house to confiscate all his books. Now, to a minister, his books are sacred. They, you, you know, you can't ever give a minister enough books. But he was, they had come to take away all his books. And he had to sign each book so that they would know it was his. And so here were all these soldiers. He was signing all, and he was angry. He was really mad. And he came to one of the books. And he opened the book, and the title was Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. And the subtitle read, Is This Your Experience Now? He'd been sitting there in all this anger, and he started laughing. It's not my experience right now. And he made a conscious decision. He called his wife and said, Bring refreshments to these so soldiers. And he sat down. Continue to sign books, and he hosted a party for those soldiers. 
What did he do? He chose joy. So you see in this passage, the source of the party, the goodness of God. You see the decision of joy. It's a decision you make in the power of God. And then I want you to see the witness that we mentioned a minute ago of this celebration. Psalm 126 on your scripture sheet. This psalm, this hymn, was written by the very people in Nehemiah 8. You ought to have a son. Psalm 26, go to Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8, go to Psalm 126. You want to make that note. The psalm goes like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, that's Jerusalem. These are the exiles that had come home. and Here they were in Jerusalem, not in Babylon anymore. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with songs with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Wow. This song was sung by the very people with Ezra and Nehemiah. They were so filled with joy and laughter that the world looked on and said, what has the Lord done for them? Why this celebration? So I ask you, this is a pointed question. I just, you know, when that, at the beginning I talked about all these people, the list I made. Who are the people that are filled with hospitality? That there's just always some kind of feast. And by the way, as I made this list, I discovered something else. They weren't all wealthy people. Some of you have been sitting here this morning saying, I'm sure some of us have been sitting here saying, well, I don't have the money to do that. I remember a couple back on the mountains of Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia. He was an elder in the church, a little church down in the valley. There weren't over 25 people in that church. He lived in a trailer on the side of a mountain, he and his wife. They had me to their home for dinner. They didn't have anything. They killed a chicken, had the vegetables they had grown. That was typical. That's what they did. They had the feast. You see, it doesn't depend on money. It doesn't depend on health. What a witness. Don't say, well, if I had the money or I had this or I had that, I could do that. No. What kind of party would you throw if you won $30 million in a lottery. Well, that 30 million lottery pales in comparison to what we have received in Christ. Think about all that you have in Christ, not just your physical, but all that we have in Christ. Folks, the world has a right to say to us, where's the party? Where's the hospitality? Where's the feasting? Where's the joy? Where is it? And these folks, these folks in Nehemiah, they didn't know about the incarnation. They didn't know the Son of God was going to become flesh. They didn't know about the cross. They didn't know about the resurrection. For every, they had three feasts in the fall of the year. Three commanded by God. How much more should we feast? We get home, people, we're going to discover we didn't feast enough with God at the center. 
All right, we come to the end. The source of the parting, the goodness of God, the decision of joy. It's, it's a decision. The witness of that celebration. Think of the witness. Someone that lives a thankful, joyous life like this. And then fourthly, the power of the joy of the Lord. Now, you don't think about the joy of the Lord being power. But if, you, if you've been asleep, I hope you haven't been. This has been a blessing to me. I hope it has been to you. But you look at this next thing, and we're done. It's going to take about two minutes. Look at verse 10. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone that has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You read that, and you've got to think, Nehemiah, you got that wrong. You got it backwards. It should be the strength of the Lord is your joy. That's not what it says. And if you had gone to Nehemiah and said, you got that backwards, Nehemiah said, I didn't get anything backward. God told me this. No, he got it right. The joy of the Lord is your strength. People What keeps our lives from being eaten alive by sorrow and despair in the darkness of this world? What keeps us from that? It is the joy of the Lord. The sheer joy of the Lord does that. The joy of the Lord is what? Our fortress. It's our fortress. In every great city in the ancient world, there was an Acropolis. And there was a reason for it. It wasn't just for the majesty of the city. The word Acropolis is the Greek word Acra and the word polis. Acra means hill or mountain and polis means city. The hill of the city. Well, when the city was attacked, the entire city ran to the Acropolis where they could fight from the highest place, from the place of advantage. Well, the Acropolis of the kingdom of God, the Acropolis of your life, my life, the Acropolis of your family's life, the Acropolis of Christ's covenant church is the joy of the Lord. That's our fortress. There's a time when we run to fasting There's a time when we run to confess our sins. But if that's not followed by running to joy, we will always be overtaken by the despair of the world. I pray for you. I pray for me. I pray for our families this week. That my fortress and your fortress personally will be the joy of the Lord, that your family's fortress will be the joy of the Lord. May the joy of the Lord be the fortress of Christ's covenant reformed church. Amen. Our hymn is most appropriate. One we traditionally think of as Thanksgiving number 32. Great is thy faithfulness.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said, Amen.